Father, words are important. You spoke this universe into existence by your word. Um, you gave us your word written um, in the exact words that you desired, inspired by your Holy Spirit. You gave us your Son as the word, the message for us. Um, and you want to hear a word from us, Lord, to talk with you, um, to speak with you, to communicate, to grow in your truth, um, but also to, to grow in words shared back and forth with you. Lord, I just pray this morning in our time in your word that it would be a dialogue. Lord, that um, we would open up our hearts to your truth. Lord, that you would minister to us in a special way. Um, Lord, that you would use my words to reflect your words and, and that you would um, feel free to adjust them um, according to your desires. Lord, I just pray that you would bless this time that we have. Pray, Lord God, that you would minister to us um, and that you would um, be glorified in our hearts and minds. And, uh, Lord, I just pray that it would impact our lives, Lord God, that we would be empowered to worship you with the decisions that we make both this morning and, and uh, throughout our week. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. About this week, about a story about a man who is helping his 97-year-old grandmother celebrate her birthday. And he was trying to encourage her because um, over the course of the events, at one point she was kind of bemoaning the fact that her, her siblings and her friends from, from the past had, had all passed on and she felt like she was the only person left of that group. And her grandson wanted to encourage her and he told her, you know, Grandma, it must be that God still has a purpose for you here. It must be that there's something left that he has for you to do. Um, she looked at him with wide eyes and said, well, whatever it is, I'm not going to do it. And I feel the same way about some money that my mom gave to me when she learned that I was going to be pastoring a church. And she gave me some money to buy a black suit with. <laughs> she said, you're going to need this for the purpose of officiating funerals. I haven't spent that money on that suit yet. And part of me is like, I'm afraid that I'm going to need it if I buy it. Um, afraid I'm going to need it for its purpose. Uh, this morning, I hope that we better understand the purpose of Harvest Fellowship. We have this purpose statement that defines our mission as a body. This predates me. It says, Harvest Fellowship exists to exalt God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to establish and edify a caring community of believers, to equip believers for effective ministry, to extend the kingdom of God into Montgomery County, the state of Indiana, and throughout the world in which we live. You know, I've spent much of the last 18 months trying to understand what is Harvest Fellowship. At some point, I came to realize that I was trying to understand 
really what Harvest Fellowship was. Because what Harvest is now, it's not even what it was in the year before I came here. And that harvest is not the harvest of three years ago. And the harvest of three years ago isn't the harvest of 15 years ago. But I read a statement about purpose this week, and it says this, Fear not that your life will come to an end, but fear that it might never have had a beginning. It's my calling, my responsibility, and my passion that the harvest of tomorrow has a beginning. Because as with everything, and I know it might be grieving to, say, to hear this, and it's grieving for me to have to admit it, the harvest um, of the past is past. As with everything, as that works. Like a soldier that comes back from a mission and hears, well done, it's time to seek out the next mission for us as a church. Each year I plan to remind us as a body what our purpose together is as a fellowship of Christ. This morning I'm going to preach from Matthew 22. I'm not, I'm not trying to say that our purpose statement has come specifically from this. But since I preach from God's Word rather than, from preach, rather than preaching from purpose statements, I'm preaching from a passage that, re, that reinforces our purpose as a body of believers. And I hope to do this yearly, as I said. Our title this morning is The Purpose of Harvest, Living Out of Love. Now what I'm trying to do is to emphasize the purpose of harvest with the fact that we are called to be living out of love. I'm not giving harvest a new purpose statement or something like that. But our emphasis this morning is the fact that we are called to be living out of love. As I said, we... we are looking this morning at Matthew 22, 34-40. And in it we read, But when the Pharisees heard that they had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him, being Jesus, a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these, the two, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Now, just to give you a little background here, this passage falls in the last week of Jesus' life. We're going to come to a better understanding of this last week as we pick up and move through the book of John together, which we'll pick up either the beginning of this summer or, or just before the beginning of this summer. For now, we want to understand that during this last week, during the Passion Week, week Jesus is teaching against both the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Prior to this, much of his teaching almost pitted the two against each other, never having both of them completely ticked off of him at him at the same time. Uh, these two groups are the ruling parties which made up the Sanhedrin. By the end of the Passion Week, these groups would be united to arrest Jesus and bring him to trial. The Sadducees were rebuffed at this point by Jesus' answer to their question and some tough questions that they'd asked of him and his questions that, that they've asked of them. 
Now the Pharisees send one of their own. This man is a lawyer, otherwise known as a scribe, and he would be responsible for the synagogue teachings. The scribes, which this man, as I mentioned, is one of, is they were experts in the Mosaic Law, which is made up of 613 commands. 365 were negative commands against the committing of certain sins. 248 of these commands were positive commands, meaning to ignore them would mean the sin of omission. These 613 laws were summarized by what we know as the Ten Commandments, which we'll talk about later here. But it was a common pondering and teaching of these scribes to rank these 613 commands of the Mosaic Law according to their importance. Jesus often had harsh words for them in their manner of elevating minor obediences while ignoring the more important commands of love, justice, and mercy. He also made them hunger for grace. He did this by telling them that even the smallest of these laws must be obeyed if they were to claim to be righteous. Their quizzing of Jesus was an attempt to test his knowledge and also get him to weigh in on this heated debate. It's Jesus' response in verses 37 through 40 that we're going to focus on and be learning from this morning. From his response, we gain the main idea of our message this morning. And that is that all that we are called to do as followers of Christ is summed up in love. All that we're called to do as followers of Christ is summed up in love. I hope that by the end of this morning's message, that you're making some things synonymous in your mind. I'm assuming that you understand that as a follower of Christ, all of life involves following Christ. I hope that, that you come to this understanding this morning that following Christ means obeying God. And I hope that you come to see that obeying God starts with love, it flows from love, and it leads to a greater love of God and for others. Again, obeying God starts with love, it flows from love, and it leads to a greater love for God and for others. So from our passage as a whole, we come to our first point here. And that's that we are called to live out of love. So Jesus' response was, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Now, I realized pretty quickly in studying this passage and preparing this message that I basically could preach the entire Bible off of this. And we'll get into what I mean by that, and that's part of what Jesus' statement is here. But look, just real quick, we need to clarify something about love. When I make the statement here, I'm not using mainly our culture's idea about love. Much of our culture thinks that love is a matter only of feelings of happiness. Our culture might take this statement to interpret it as meaning that we 
we're able to water down our obedience. Uh, it may it might make it about feelings rather than about concrete actions. And more obeying Christ or following Christ into a spirituality in which having, quote, God in our lives is just about maybe becoming a better person, loving more. So let's just define love a little bit, which is about, you know, if love sums up basically all that the Bible calls for, defining love should be just about as hard. But we're just going to center in a little bit. I'm sure that most of us have heard that love in relationships can be classified in many different ways. There's the love of friends for one another. There's the love of lovers, which would mean physical attraction and, and even the physical intimacy of marriage. The difference between these two types of love could be con confusing. We often hear in the situation by which maybe a girl is asked, do you like him or do you like like him? Right? And that, that could be the difference between these two types of love. But there's a sort of unconditional or unwavering, self-giving sort of love. This agape love. And this is a type of love that our passage is describing with the words that Matthew originally used. This is what some dictionaries say about love as it appears in our passage this morning. The Holman Bible Dictionary says it's an unselfish, loyal, and benevolent intention and commitment toward another. The Harper's Bible Dictionary says it's a relationship of self-giving. Jesus made it clear in our message, in our passage, that love is the summary of our obedience to God's commands. As I've said, the 613 commands are summed up in the Ten Commandments. And now I want to show you how it is that these two commandments, to love God and others, sum up the other ten. The first four commandments could be classified under loving God. The first commandment is, You shall have no other gods before me, God says. Hopefully... You can see how loving God summarizes the fact that we shall not follow other gods or idols that we make. That flows into the second commandment of not making for ourselves an idol. To pursue idolatry is not loving God. And we define idolatry as giving to something what belongs to God in order to get what we need. That, I hope that's obvious that that's not loving God to pursue what we need from something else and giving to it what belongs to Him. Our third commandment that we have in the Ten Commandments, you should not misuse the name of the Lord your God. To misuse the Lord's name is not a loving thing to do in our relationship with Him. I'm not sure how many of us would want our name dragged through the mud, if you will. Number four is remembering the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Loving the Lord through obedience to the Sabbath is definitely a separate sermon in itself. Now, there's much about the Old Testament law that Jesus either confirmed, fulfilled, or brought to a fuller meaning. And obedience to, sa to the Sabbath, I believe, was, was brought to a fuller meaning, brought to an eternal meaning, and I think brought to a daily meaning by our Lord but devoting ourselves regularly to the Lord is certainly a way that we love Him. 
So moving into the last six commandments of the Ten Commandments, we can see how this can be summarized by love for others. In the fifth commandment, to honor my parents is a major part of how I show love to them. I'm certainly not honoring someone by murdering them or um, hating them as Jesus expanded it to. Just as a side note, that does not say thou shalt not kill. Right? Okay. It's my little uh, pet peeve when we list it that way. But anyways. In the seventh commandment of the ten, you shall not commit adultery. I'm not loving my wife if I'm committing adultery or moving in that direction in any way. Jesus helps us to understand that lust sinfully moves us in the direction of adultery. Stealing what is within my grasp is not how to love those who are within my reach. In the same way, by lying to or about someone, I wouldn't be loving those who are affected by my words. Something that's a little harder in the opportunity to impact people around the world through social media. Uh, finally, those who are within my sight. We're told that we shouldn't be coveting. I'm not loving them by wishing I could have. Or I could just have a little more of what they have. By coveting what someone has, in a way I'm reducing them to their possessions. There's also something hard to do with the internet and television. And what I like to call HCTV, home coveting television. So anyways, I just wanted to show you part of how even as the Ten Commandments summarize the law, these two commandments summarize the whole of that. But Jesus wasn't just talking about the Old Testament law when He says, on these two commandments depend the law and the prophets. When speaking about the law and the prophets, He was talking about the Old Testament as a whole. Jesus' sacrifice of Himself completed the sacrificial system. His teaching completed and expanded on the teachings of the Old Testament. His life, death, and resurrection fulfilled countless prophecies. His daily decisions and teachings exemplified the wisdom literature. As the perfect embodiment of love and obedience, Jesus taught and lived how love sums up the Old Testament. You know, I went mountain biking uh, a few times when I was a youth pastor in Rapid City, but I quickly realized that I couldn't afford it. Um, hitting a rock the wrong way meant bending the hub of your bicycle's wheel. And basically, your bike was useless until you got that hub fixed or bought a new wheel. Like the hub of a bicycle wheel, the commandments to love God and love others are the center of all commands. Like the spokes flowing outward from that hub to the rest of the wheel, all other commands about our life with God and others are connected to our love for God. By saying this sums up the whole Old Testament, the book of Daniel as we move through, as we saw amazing decisions, God-honoring decisions made by Daniel and his friends, and as we saw how much God was worthy of those choices, understand that it was God's plan and it was what was at work in Daniel's life was that he loved his Lord. And he loved others. And that's what empowered him to be who he was. 
in a larger sense. We're talking about what it means to follow Christ, to be His disciple. But we find people who make a following Christ maybe all about love. You know, it's just all about love. And what they often mean is that it's not about obedience. We also find that make follow, people that make following Christ all about obedience. What they often mean is it's not about love. It's as simple in how Jesus said it in John fourteen fifteen. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Jesus told his disciples in John fifteen about the relationship between love and obedience and following him as he said, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So we can see that following Jesus is about loving God and others in obedience to God's commands. As this is just as Christ loved God the Father and obeyed his commands, those first disciples, they passed down what it meant to follow Christ as he was obeying the Father and loving the Father, loving the Father and obeying the Father out of that love for Him. And those who passed it on, passed it on to others until here we are today, 2,000 years later. As a church, we want to be about what it means to follow Christ. We want to be growing as disciples of Christ. Therefore, we're called to be passing that love for God, or that understanding of loving God and obeying God, we're called to be passing that on from one person to another just as it's been passed down for 2,000 years. And it's not about following a person that's maybe discipling me. It's about that person saying, this is how you follow Him. As He loved His Father, as He obeyed His Father, as He walked in relationship with His Father, We want to be discipling each other. We want to be helping each other to follow Christ better as He loved and obeyed His Father. This brings us back to our purpose as a church. We're to to exalt God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and to establish and and edify a caring community of believers. And these are the two aspects that we're looking at today. We'll, we'll venture into more of it next week. But as, we are, as we're centering in on the principles of our purpose as a church, I want us to focus on how our purpose is meant to be an outflow of our relationship with God. I want us to see how our relationship with God, how following Christ means obedience to God. I want us to see how our loving and obeying relationship with God is intended to affect our relationships with others. I want us to see how encouraging love and obedience in each other is what we're called to do as followers of Christ. Again, obeying God starts from love, it flows from love, and it leads to greater love for Him and for others. It's basically, I mean... You can sum up the Bible right there. That's what Jesus did. So our second idea from this passage is that we are called to live out of a love for God. Jesus said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Now, in answering the scribe's question, Jesus is quoting from the Shema, recorded in Deuteronomy 6.5. This was repeated twice daily by a faithful Jew. And it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. So Jesus wasn't sharing a new insight. He was answering the question correctly. He was affirming that idea. These statements reflected all of the truths that were meant by Jesus. It's not like he was teaching a new idea, as I said. But his life and teaching removed the mediocrity and the rationalizing away from complete obedience as the scribes were known to do, to, to just approve of or, or institutionalize mediocrity, institutionalize or rationalize away, well, what that really means is just this life, this part of your life, and if this is going on, you don't have to give the Lord this part of your life. With the first statement of the Shema, God was communicating that there is just Him and no other gods. There's no legitimate religion outside of a relationship with Him. And that relationship is to be one about complete devotion and loving obedience. In repeating this command about loving God, Jesus was stating that his gospel does not let people off the hook. Loving God with all of our heart, soul, and mind is about loving him with all of ourselves. He's deserving of no less. To sin... The word sin is an archery term that means missing the perfect bullseye. And the perfect bullseye is loving God and obeying God with all of ourselves. For those who have accepted Christ as our Savior, who, who have placed our faith and our trust in the person and work, and his death, and his resurrection of Christ. And we've seen the Holy Spirit answer that by indwelling us. This is such, the grace of God is such good news because we fall miserably short of this standard of loving God purely and, and fully with all of ourselves. But we're still called to pursue total devotion to loving God and obeying God out of a love for Him. The idea is that a person is who is loving something else and taking away, it's taking away for their, from their love for God that, and they can't be then loving Him with all of themselves. This makes the command of Proverbs to guard our hearts much more clearer and important to keep your heart with all vigilance. And for from it flows the springs of life. Why does it from it flow the springs of life? Because from it flows our affections, our desires. And to, to be desiring something else more than God is to be setting ourselves up for sin, and likely sin in itself. And so you can see then why the importance of protecting our hearts is so great. 
because from it flows the springs of life. From it flows the decisions that we make. I've shared this before. When we're learning to drive, we learn at some point, keep your eyes on the horizon. Because otherwise, I, I've shared with you before, like when I first learned to drive, I just like looked, looked at the, where the yellow line was meeting the hood of the car. And I was like, okay, I just don't want to go in that other lane. And I just don't want to go off the, the road over here. And, and it was really, it wasn't working. Until I finally figured out, just keep my eye on the horizon and that's where I'll go. Again, this is a horizon issue of our walk with Christ. We will spend the rest of our lives, we should spend the rest of our lives just deepening a love for Him, growing in a love for each other. Okay? Never getting there. But we're called to move, to be moving in that direction. The way that we can examine our life, the way that we can look at our, our life over the years of growing in Christ is asking that question, am I growing in a love for Him? That thing that used to trip me up have I gotten a little bit closer to being like, you know, I want God more than that. To, to give in to that temptation. I feel a separation from Him. I feel a, I feel a break in my fellowship with Him. And I love Him more than that. So over the years, it's, it's about being able to look back and see, you know, I, I am loving Him more than that. It's a horizon issue. As with all areas of obedience, it's not about pursuing a greater love for God in our flesh. It's not about us trying to conjure up more love for God out of our own power. I'm reminded of Paul's question in Galatians 3.3 where he says, Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? The work of growing in a greater love for God and a greater obedience to His commands is a work of the Spirit. We should pray for a greater love and obedience for God. We should pray for each other to have a greater love and obedience to Him. We should pray for a work of God in our lives and in the lives of those that we pray for that He would give us a greater love for Him, a greater love for each other. This is why... Here we come back to this repentance slide. Now, if you don't understand the vending machine, have you, if you haven't seen that by now, um, come ask me and I'll explain it to you. But, but this is why repentance boils down to being about repenting from serving ourselves rather than serving God. Repenting from loving and wanting to Wanting what I want, my heart being set on what I want, rather than my heart being transformed into what, being focused on what God wants from me. This is why repentance ultimately needs to amount to a change in our hearts, the location of our desires. This is why confessing that I don't love and treasure God enough is what I should do. God, the reason why this is drawing me so much is because I don't love you enough. Can you change my heart? is what repentance looks like. And asking Him to set our hearts as it should be on loving Him once again. And we talked about how repentance needs replacement. And that basically boils down to realizing I'm going to this God because I love it more than you. I'm, I'm believing that lie that it loves me more than you do. And, and sometimes it helps to have someone help us 
with replacing that and realizing where it is that God's love for us, that that relationship with Him is really meant to fulfill us, not in a total way, we're never empty of longings, but that we really are meant to, as a part of that repentance, to replace that being what we're being drawn to with that sin, with how it is that our relationship with God is meant to fulfill us in that area. And then repetition added to that is how we change. But it's a work of the Spirit. It's a work of God ultimately within our hearts, giving us a greater love for Him, convicting us and allowing us to set our hearts on, on realizing that we should be serving Him with our hearts, Him with our desires. It's my heart that's the problem. This is what Jesus is getting at. I read a poem this week by a woman named Hazel Hartwell Simon. It says this, Love makes obedience a thing of joy. To do the will of one we like to please is never hardship, though it tax our strength. Each privilege of service love will seize. Love makes us loyal, glad to do or go, and eager to defend the name, a name or cause. Love takes the drudgery from our common work and asks no rich reward or great applause. Love gives us satisfaction in our task and wealth in learning lessons of the heart. Love sheds a light of glory on our toil and makes us humbly glad to have a part. Love makes us choose to do the will of God, to run His errands and proclaim His truth. It gives our hearts an eager lilting song. Our feet are shod with tireless wings of you. That's what love does. That's the change that God wants to make in our lives. Back to our purpose here. Focusing in on this idea of exalting God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I want you to see how that's intended to flow out of a loving relationship with Him individually. Exalting the triune God as a congregation, as we do on a Sunday morning, should flow out of a growing love for Him. Elevating Him and being centered on Him as a congregation should flow out of having been changed by Him individually. It means that we seek to live together in a way that is in obedience to His will for us as a congregation. And growth as a follower of Christ individually should mean growing in our love for Him, as I've said. Growing in our love for Him should mean that we also are loving sin less because our love for Him is eclipsing it. This means that we should be exalting Him, not just as a congregation, but in our daily lives, flowing out of a love for Him. And it should result in seeking daily obedience to His command. This brings us to our third idea here that we are called to live out of a love for others. You can call that each other. Again, just Jesus is simply quoting the Shema along with the commands that go along with it. The children of Israel were not to let off the hook with regard to who they were to love, even though, as I said, many a teacher had kind of started to divide out and rationalize and and, and um, 
make it so that they could justify themselves in, in their lack of love and still be, be considered righteous by other people. God had already told them in Leviticus 19.18, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And later in verse 34, he told them, you shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as, your na as the native among you. In other words, treat him like your brother. And you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. The children of Israel were expected to love those within their reach, whether they were Jew or Gentile. Jesus would later make it clear that he intended for his example of love for others to be followed, as he says in John 15, 12-14, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Jesus' example of self-sacrifice becomes our standard of self-sacrificing love. In his epistle, in 1 John, John calls for the same type of love which drove Jesus to take on the wrath of God on himself for us. And John concludes in 1 John 4.11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So we love others. We love each other. We're intended to love each other in response to how God has loved us. And so we see how our love for and the way that we treat others should come from our love for God. I mean, we should be obeying God out of love for Him. Now that doesn't mean, oh, I, I don't love Him enough so I'm just not going to obey Him. That's not about it. That's not what it's about. But our obedience also enables us to deepen our love for Him. It, that's, that's part of that protecting your heart. But we see that our, our obeying God leads us to love Him more. Our love for Him leads us to obey Him more. Our obeying Him leads us to love each other. We see the proper arrangement even for, for the home for instance. We see what that's intended to be from the Scriptures in Colossians 3, 18-21. And these are to flow out of a love for God and a love for each other. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. All these roles within the home are those that God designed, and they are meant to be lived out in honor and obedience to God, and they mean honor and obedience to each other. And we see in our society how damaging it is for families to move away from the roles that are set in obedience to God. And we see that no one seems to be in charge anymore in the American home. Who is it that's supposed to be in charge? The answer is not dad. The answer is meant to be God's in charge. God tells us how to behave. And we love Him. And so we seek to obey Him 
And obeying Him means we love each other. And we live a life with each other that He's called us to live in obedience to Him. A little boy was at McDonald's. And he was with his mother and he and he and he you know, he's being a big boy taking the, the tray to to the garbage can to dump it out. She watches him and he's kinda of staring at the front of the garbage can after he dumps the tray in, puts the tray up on top. He's kinda of staring at the front of the garbage can. And he comes running back and he says, Mom, I know how to spell garbage. P U S H As a mom does, she smiled and said, well, do you know what L-O-V-E spells? He shakes his head. She says it spells this. She gives him a big hug. The greatest test of our love is how we respond to mistakes. And even how we respond to disappointments with each other. Also, the greatest evidence of our love is not in what we say to each other, but in what we do, in our action. We're purposed together, we're purposing together to establish and edify a caring community of believers. We exist as a body to establish and edify a caring community of believers. This means that we exist to be a group of people that live out of love and obedience to Christ. And we've shown here that loving and obeying Christ means loving and obeying Him by loving each other. The finer points of this are communicated all over the Scriptures. Like I said, this could be a message basically about the Bible. One specific study you can do is just studying the one another's. We're called to be devoted to one another in brotherly love, to honor one another above ourselves. We're called to live in harmony with one another. We're called to serve one another in love. We're called to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, to offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. We're called, all of us, to clothe ourselves with humility toward one another. We're called to admonish one another with all wisdom, to encourage one another daily. We're called to let us to be considering how we might spur one another on toward love and good deeds. We're called to accept one another. We're called to bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances we may have against one another, to forgive as the Lord forgave us. We're called to live in harmony with one another, to be sympathetic, to love as brothers, to be compassionate, and to be humble towards each other. Just with our love for God and our obedience flowing from Him, we don't come anywhere near loving each other perfectly. Like I said, the greatest test of our love is when we fall short of it, far short of it, as we normally do. If you're a personal friend of mine, or a member of my family, you would know this for sure, that I don't come anywhere near loving other people perfectly. In the same way as our love for God, our loving each other is not something that we can will out of ourselves. I just got to love this person. I got to grip my teeth and love this person. I mean...
still do actions of love even if you don't feel it. But like I said, that's part of that protecting your heart. Because sin starts to get at the place where your desires come from. But we, we can grow within our ability to love each other over time. We can grow through prayer and through conviction and responding with repentance. Our insensitivity, our insensitivity to the needs of others, our unthinkingness, our anger, our selfishness and pride, these should drive us to confession with each other and confession and repentance with God. This is how they're meant to be dealt with. This is how they grow us. In a very real way, we've been given to each other to rub off our rough edges. But they don't get rubbed off without confessing to each other when we fall short. And forgiving each other. It's not fun at times. But we're meant to be honest with each other. And we're to get to where we're constantly constantly trading off forgiving and seeking forgiveness as a part of normal life with each other. This is what happens when people spend time together. They step on each other's toes. And they have an opportunity to respond with love. They have an opportunity to learn how to love better. Again, obeying God starts from love, it flows from love, and it leads to greater love for God and for others. So next week, that's your great signal. Oh, he's coming to the end. Next week, we're going to continue to look at our purpose statement, as I mentioned. We'll, we'll look at the impact that we're called to have on the world around us. Let me share with you a story, though, that makes a connection of our impact in the, on the world around us and our love for others. When Wycliffe translator Doug Meeland and his wife moved into a village in Brazil's among the Brazil's Fulneo Indians. He was referred to simply as the white man. The term was by no means complimentary, since other white men had exploited them, burned their homes, and robbed them of their lands. But after the Milans learned that the Fulneo language and began to help the people with medicine and in other ways, they began to call Doug the respectable white man. When the Milans began adapting the customs of the people, the Fulneo gave them a greater acceptance and spoke of Doug as the white Indian. Then one day as Doug was washing the dirty, blood-caked foot of an injured Fulneo boy, he overheard a bystander say to another, Whoever heard of a white man washing an Indian's foot before? Certainly this man is from God. From that day on, whenever Doug would go into an Indian home, it would be announced, here comes the man God sent us. It's no surprise that by washing a man's feet, a little boy's feet, it caused Doug Meelan to be seen differently. After washing the disciples' feet, Jesus said this, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, which is an ultimate act of service, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example 
and you also should do just as I have done. And giving them in this example, Jesus tells his disciples only a short time later, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you will also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I just want to repeat one more time this morning. Re obeying God starts from love, it flows from love, and it leads to greater love for God and for others. Let's close in prayer. Father, um, these are huge ideas. These are, these are horizon ideas. These are lifelong, always growing, always repenting, always seeing our greater need for you ideas. And so they can be discouraging. And so I thank you for the forgiveness that's available through Christ. I thank you, Lord, for your tarrying with us, for your working with and through us uh, as broken vessels. Um, I thank you, Lord God, that you are willing to fill these our broken vessels with your glory and with who you are. Lord, um, I pray that anyone who doesn't know you as their Savior this morning, that they would hear this for what it is. This is the standard that they must meet if they're to have a relationship with you. And it's impossible. Pray, Lord God, that you would push them to reach out for your grace through Christ. Lord, I thank you for this morning. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.